chapter twenty three of the silent battle by george gibbs recording by tony oliva this librivox recording is in the public domain the mouse and the lion there was an activity in the offices of kenyon hood and gallatin chiefly centering around the doings of the youngest member of the firm which had caused the methodical tooker some sceptical and unquiet moments he had witnessed these spurts of industry before and remembered that they had always presaged the bursting of a bubble and the disappearance of the junior partner for a protracted period at the end of which he would return to the office pale nervous and depressed but as the weeks went by far beyond the time usually marked for this event tooker began to realize that something unusual had happened the chief clerk could hardly be called an observant man for his business in life kept him in a narrow groove but he awoke one morning to the discovery that a remarkable change had taken place in the manner and bearing of mr gallatin there were none of those fidgety movements of the fingers that quick and sometimes overbearing speech or the habit mr gallatin had had as his father had had it before him of pacing up and down the floor of his room his hands behind his back his brows bent over sullen eyes mr gallatin's manner and speech were quieter his gaze more direct and more lasting he smiled more and his capacity for work seemed unlimited tooker waited for a long while and then came to the conclusion that a new order of things had begun and that the junior partner had found himself there had been frequent important conferences in mr kenyon's office between the partners during which philip gallatin had advised the firm of the progress of the sanborn case but it was clear that for the present at least the junior partner dominated the situation all his life tooker had been accustomed to follow in the footsteps of others and was prepared to follow gallatin gladly if the junior partner would give him footsteps to follow and he was now beginning to appreciate the significance of those long visits of mr gallatin in pennsylvania and the infinite care and study with which gallatin had fortified himself he understood too what those piles of documents on mr gallatin's desk were for and in the conferences of the firm when john kenyon's incisive voice cut in he realized that it was more often in encouragement advice and appreciation than in contention or argument the sanborn company's directors were represented by the firm of whitehead loipold tyson and loipold this was one of the firms previously mentioned which had offices upon an upper floor and included among its clients many large corporations closely identified with the interests a correspondence had been passing between mr gallatin and mr loipold with all of which tooker was familiar mr gallatin's early letters stated that he hoped for a conference with mr loring 
mr leupold's first replies were couched in polite formulas the equivalent of which was in plain english that mr gallatin might go to the devil saying that mr loring had nothing to do with the matter mr gallatin's reply ignored this suggestion and again proposed a conference mr leupold refused in abrupt terms mr gallatin gave reasons for his request mr leupold couldn't see them mr gallatin patiently gave other reasons mr leupold ignored this letter mr gallatin wrote another mr leupold in reply considered the matter closed mr gallatin considered the matter just opened mr leupold fulminated politely and satirically suggested intimidation mr gallatin regretted mr leupold's implication but persisted giving as his reasons the discovery of material evidence the next day mr leupold came in person was shown into mr gallatin's office and tooker had been present at the interview it had been a memorable occasion mr leupold wore that suave and confident manner for which he was noted and gallatin received him with an old-fashioned courtesy and the deference of a younger man for an older which left nothing to be desired accepting this as his due leupold began in a fatherly way to impress upon gallatin the utter futility of trying to win the injunction in the court of appeals the contentions of sanborn et al had no basis either in law or in equity mr gallatin had doubtless been unduly influenced by doubtful precedents he leupold was familiar with every phase of the case and had defended the previous suit which had been brought and lost by a legal firm in philadelphia there was absolutely nothing in mr gallatin's position as stated in his correspondence and he concluded by referring his young friend to certain marked passages in a volume which he had brought in under his arm gallatin read the passages through with interest and listened with a show of great seriousness to mr leupold's interpretation of them mr leupold had a mien which commanded attention gallatin gave it but he said little in reply which could indicate his possible ground of action except to express regret that mr leupold's clients had taken such an intolerant view of his own client's claims and to deplore the unfortunate tone of mr leupold's own letter of some days ago when it was quite clear to mr leupold that the young man was not to be moved by persuasion his manner changed i have done my best mr gallatin he said irritably to prove to you the utter futility of your course my clients have nothing to fear i am only trying to save them the expense of further litigation but if you insist on bringing this case to trial 
we will welcome the opportunity to show further evidence in our possession we have been content for the sake of peace to let matters go on as they have been going but if this suit is pressed i warn you that it will be unfortunate for your clients i hope not i hope we won't have to bring suit replied gallatin easily i'm only asking for a conference of all the parties interested mr leupold that certainly is little enough an amicable conference a discussion if you like there is nothing to discuss i beg to differ leaving aside for a moment the question of the new evidence in the sanborn case do you think that mr loring who controls its stock would care to have his connection with the lehigh and pottsville railroad company brought into court mr leupold gasped he couldn't help it how and where had this polite but surprising young man obtained this information which no member of his own firm besides himself possessed it was uncanny was this the fellow they had talked about and smiled over upstairs mr leupold took to cover skilfully hiding his uneasiness under a bland smile you're dreaming sir he said gallatin shook his head no i'm not dreaming gallatin rose and took a few paces up and down the room see here mr leupold i'm not prepared to discuss the matter further now i've asked you for a conference and you call my request intimidation which might mean an uglier thing you've treated my correspondence in a casual way and you've patronized me in my own office i've kept my temper pretty well and i'm keeping it still but i warn you that you have been and still are making a mistake i've asked for a conference because i believe this matter can be settled out of court and because i didn't think it fair to your client to go to court without giving him a chance to save himself we have no desire to enter into a long and expensive litigation but we are prepared to do so and will take the preliminary steps at once unless we have some immediate consideration of our claims if you stand suit on this appeal you will lose and i fancy the evidence presented will be of such character that you will not care to take the matter further don't reply now mr leupold think it over and let me hear from you in writing mr leupold had not moved he was watching gallatin keenly from under his beetling brows was this mere guesswork what did the young man really know what evidence had he was it a bluff if so he made it in tones with which leupold was unfamiliar but it was no time to back water now he smiled approvingly at phil gallatin's inkwell mr gallatin your imagination does you credit a good lawyer must have intuition but he's got to have discretion too you think because the interests we represent are wealthy ones 
that you can throw a stick in our direction and be sure of hitting something unfortunately you have been misinformed on all points mr loring has voluntarily submitted his holdings in pennsylvania to investigation you can never prove any connection between the pequot coal company and the lehigh and pottsville railroad there is none he rose pompously and took up his hat and books there isn't any use in our talking over this case it will lead us nowhere but i'll promise you if you'll put your proposition in writing to submit it to careful consideration thanks said gallatin dryly he picked up a large envelope from the table and handed it to his visitor i have already done so will you take it with you or shall i mail it i you may give it to me mr gallatin gallatin walked to the outer door and politely bowed him out while tooker his thin frame writhing with ecstasy fussed with some papers on the big table in the junior partner's office until he was more composed and then went on about his daily routine he realized now for the first time the full stature of the junior partner in a night it almost seemed to tooker he had outgrown his boyhood his brilliant wayward boyhood that had promised so much and achieved so little he was like his father now but there was a difference philip gallatin the elder he remembered had dominated his office by the mere force of his intellect he had directed the preparation of his cases with an unerring legal sense and he had won them through his mastery of detail and the elimination of the unessential but it was when presenting his case to a jury that he was at his strongest for such was the personal quality of his magnetism that jurors were willing to be convinced less by the value of his cause than by the magic of his sophistry but to tooker who was little more than a piece of legal machinery there was something in the methods of the son which compensated for the more spectacular talents of the father the painstaking and diligent way in which gallatin had planned and carried out his present investigations and the confidence with which he was putting his information to use it was clear to tooker that leupold had been unprepared for philip gallatin's revelations even now tooker doubted the wisdom of them for mr leupold would not be slow to take advantage of his information and to cover the traces left by his clients as well as he might but when he spoke of it to gallatin the junior partner had laughed don't you bother old man wait a while we'll hear from mr leupold very soon before the week is out i think in the offices upstairs mr leupold's return was the signal for an immediate consultation of the entire firm which would have flattered and encouraged philip gallatin had he been aware of it mr tyson and mr whitehead discovered in mr leupold's account of the interview undue cause for alarm 
they were themselves adepts at the game mr gallatin was evidently playing and could be depended upon at the proper moment to outmaneuver him mr loipold disagreed and was forced to admit the weakness of mr loring's position if as he suspected mr gallatin had succeeded in fortifying himself with the proper evidence the stock was of course not in mr loring's name but a man of resource might have been able to find means to establish a legal connection of the mine with the railroad mr loipold's opinions usually bore weight but just now he seemed to have no definite opinions the conference of the partners lasted until late in the afternoon during which time messengers came and went between the firm's offices and those of the pequot coal company and that of the president of the l n p henry k loring was out of town and would not return until the end of the week a wire was sent to him to return to new york at once and it was decided that no reply to mr gallatin's letter should be sent until mr loring had been advised phil gallatin in high good humor lunched that morning with the senior partner at a fashionable restaurant uptown his work on the sanborn case was finished he had been at it very hard for two months and the two of them had planned to spend the afternoon and following day up at john kenyon's farm in westchester where they would do some riding some walking and some resting of which both were in need the lunch was a preliminary luxury and they found a table in a corner on the avenue and ordered there was no talk of office matters john kenyon had been thoroughly advised of phil's work and knew that there was nothing in the way of suggestion or advice that he could offer he had noticed for some days the gaunt look in his young partner's face there were indications of his growing maturity and shadows of the struggle through which he had passed but there were marks which john kenyon knew belonged to a different kind of trouble gallatin had told him what had happened in the woods and kenyon had learned something of phil's romance in new york but kenyon was not given to idle or curious questioning and he knew that when phil was ready to speak of private matters he would do so their oysters had been served and their planked fish brought when a fashionable party entered and was conducted by the head waiter to an adjoining table which had been decorated for the occasion mrs pennington led the way followed by miss ledyard mrs perrin and miss loring behind them followed ogden spencer bibby worthington colonel broadhurst and coleman van dyne who was it appeared the host phil had hoped that his presence might pass unnoticed but nellie pennington espied him and nodded gaily so that he had to rise and greet her this drew the eyes of others and when the party was seated he discovered that miss loring on van dyne's right was seated facing him 
and that her eyes after one blank look in his direction were assiduously turned elsewhere john kenyon caught the change in gallatin's expression but in a moment phil had resumed their conversation upon the comparative merits of the delaware river and potomac river shad and their luncheon went on to its conclusion but the spirits of john kenyon's guest had fallen and kenyon's most persuasive stories failed to find a response in spite of himself phil gallatin found himself looking at jane and thinking of arcadia it was three weeks now since that much to be remembered and regretted interview at the loring house had taken place the glance he stole at jane assured him that if he had ever had a hope of reconciliation the chances for it were now more remote than ever she wore a huge hat which screened her effectually and the glimpses he had of her face showed it dimpling in smiles for coleman van dyne or bibby worthington who sat on either side of her when their eyes had first met he had thought her pale but as the moments passed a warm color mounted her cheeks it seemed to gallatin that never before within his memory had she ever appeared so carefree she was youth untrammeled a sister to euphrosyne the spirit of joy it seemed as if she realized that the grim spectre which had stolen into her life for a while had been exorcised away and that she had already forgotten it in the beckoning of the jocund hours phil gallatin had come into her life and gone leaving no trace in her mind or in her heart after this their eyes met but once he was looking at her thinking of these things oblivious of what john kenyon was saying unaware of the intentness of his gaze which at last compelled her to look in his direction it was a startled glance that she gave him wide-eyed almost fearful as though he had challenged her to this silent combat then her lids lowered insolently her chin lifted and she turned aside their coffee had been served phil gulped his down hastily come uncle john he said hoarsely let's get out of this will you john kenyon paid the check and they rose unfortunately the only path to the door lay by mr van dyne's table and as gallatin passed nodding to his acquaintances mrs pennington got up and stood in front of him i do so want to see you for a moment phil will you excuse me Coley? she said and led the way into a room where she found an unoccupied corner john kenyon went elsewhere to smoke his cigar oh phil she whispered why wouldn't you come to see me i've had so much to talk to you about i-i've been very busy nelly i haven't been anywhere my house isn't anywhere i want to talk to you you know what i mean it won't do any good nelly he muttered there isn't anything more to be said perhaps not but i want to say it just the same 
i want you to promise i can't he said hoarsely don't ask me to come and talk to you about that well then come and talk to me about other things i can't if i come i must talk about what you remind me of she hesitated looking at him critically phil you're an idiot she said at last thanks he replied i'm aware of it are you going to give up i've given up nellie pennington shrugged for good you're going to let oh i've no patience with you i'm sorry you did what you could and i'm thankful don't think i'm ungrateful i'm not one of these days i'll prove it you did a lot i'm awake nellie you woke me and i'm not going to sleep again i'm proud of you phil but you're not awake not really awake or you couldn't sit by and see the girl you love forced into an engagement with a man she doesn't care for gallatin flushed is that he asked slowly is that what this this luncheon means judge for yourself he's with her always and they've even rebelled against my chaperonage their relations are talked of freely in jane's presence and she laughs acquiescence imagine it gallatin turned away i-i have no further interest in in miss loring he said quietly well i have and i'm not going to let her make a fool of herself if i can help it miss loring will probably not agree with you I hardly expect her to she hesitated phil she asked at last what nellie will you answer a question what was this story they're telling about you and nina mentioned yes it was i thought so triumphantly phil we must talk this thing out it can do no good and no harm there's been a mistake somewhere something neither you nor i understand she stopped and tapped her forehead with her index finger i can't tell what but i sense it here something has gone wrong what i don't know i've got to think about it yes it's gone wrong and it can't be righted perhaps not she said rising but i do want you to come to see me won't you you're very persistent aren't you very well i'll come i must go now coley will be furious i hope so at any rate she smiled at him again and went back to her luncheon party while gallatin found john kenyon and drove to the grand central station End of chapter twenty three